0: I've been a Christian for a very long time. And while I gave my life to Christ, I listened to sermons and I tried to live a generally good life. I never really dove into the Bible to learn about God's character for myself. Life got busy. I graduated from uni, I got a full-time job, I got married, I had kids. I had more and more to do and less and less time. In 2019, I was diagnosed with cancer around my heart. It was a really difficult and dark time for us as it took us a long time to figure out exactly what kind of cancer it was. While we didn't know, I actually had to make peace with the fact that I could die and leave my pregnant wife and one-year-old alone. We had to put our life on hold for a while while we tried to sort all this stuff out and thankfully we got a diagnosis on lymphoma which is good because it was curable and I went through intense chemo and radiotherapy and now I'm in remission. After something like that, You would have thought that maybe I would have slowed my life down and reassessed things, but I didn't. I just kept on running hard. I picked up and I didn't stop. At the start of this year, I had burnt myself out. Not just a little bit tired, but a thorough burning out. That's 20 years in the making of running hard. I was a cranky person. I was not kind. I was snappy at my kids. I was just not really a joy to be around. And then, I had a still small realization. It said to me, you are running too hard, be still. That small realization spoke to me louder than cancer did. It opened my eyes and made me realize that I was an addict to doing stuff and getting stuff done. Like a Pharisee, I looked great on the outside, but on the inside, I was a desert of dry bones. And look, I still did all the things. I read my Bible and things like that, but there was just a dryness from running so hard. What started out as a small crack with a tiny trickle? God unleashed a flood into my life. I had a new fire and a new desire just to seek after Him. I started reading my Bible via the New Life app. I started watching the Bible Project videos and also listening to the Bema podcast before bed and I joyfully carved out time to spend time with God reading and writing before work. I've realized that every time that I engage with God, what happens is it changes me ever so slightly. The person that I was at the start of the year and the person that I am now are not the same person. Since I found the GC Becoming group, I have learned that there's a group of people that I can share my thoughts with and my questions and wrestles, as well as learning about the insights of others from what we are reading together. I found that after six months, sometimes the inspiration and the motivation can start to wane. But the GC Becoming group has really helped keep me inspired to keep on going.
1: Friends, how great is that story, hey? Yeah, that deserves celebration, 100%. If you ever met Alan Lim, man, I had coffee with him this week. He is a great man. He's a lot of fun to hang around. He's motivational. He's inspirational. And he's exactly what you see on the screen. Alan's talking about something that we committed to do as a church this year, which was to read through the Bible together. I'm not sure how many of you are joining us on this journey. My hope and prayer is that some of you are still with us as we started 2 Chronicles uh, yesterday and today. Now, Alan talks about something called the GC Becoming Group. This isn't uh, some weird group that no one knows about, that only Alan's a part of. We started a WhatsApp, um, which was all about a group of people discussing what they're reading in the Bible every day. And so on the screen behind me is a QR code. If you have WhatsApp, or it, you can use this QR code to join that group, and you don't have to post anything. We have like 55, 60 people part of the group. Only like five to six people actually comment and everyone else just like silently observes. But that's fine. You're allowed to do that because we're inspiring each other in community to read the Bible together. And so if you are wanting or you are reading the Bible with us, why don't you jump on the G, the, the, becoming, the WhatsApp and then come join our GC Becoming group. Because we're dedicated this year to actually becoming who Christ has called us to be. Another way you can do that is if you want to go deeper in your Bible reading, you could even sign up for one of our Bible college lectures or or, or topics, either by audit or credit. And if you're interested in going deeper in the Bible, Tracy Hickey and our amazing New Life College team will be out in the courtyard after the service, and you can learn more and discover more about the Bible through the amazing lectures that we have planned for this year. On that note, friends, would you join with me as we pray? Gracious God, I thank you so much that we can just come before you right now and open your word. May it shape us, Lord God. I thank you for the promise that your your word never returns void. But it forms, it shapes, it molds. God, steal our hearts. Silence the distractions. And lead us to hear your voice, Holy Spirit. Less of me, more of you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 There was a test there if you were actually praying along with me with your eyes shut because I heard a snigger and you might be wondering why was someone sniggering it's because I almost fell off the platform in the middle of the prayer I was here so if you're at home and you weren't playing uh praying you're watching you know exactly what I'm talking about speaking of people joining us online we're privileged today we we reference a group of people called the St. George crew every week online because they join us and today they're actually in the service with us we've got Alan and Kerry here and some others you guys want to wave at everybody they're just down here fantastic Guys, it takes seven hours to get here from St. George, and they've only come for this service. What was your excuse? So, no, I'm kidding. They're coming here for the weekend. I get to have lunch with them in just a moment. Uh, And that's awesome. So wherever you are, wherever you join us from online, massive welcome to you. My name's Michael Hands. I'm the lead minister here. And it is an indisputable fact that the greatest moment of any movie is the montage scene. Do you know what I mean by the montage scene? Yeah, all right. So to, to kind of, I've chosen two examples that I think could hit the demographic in the room. The montage scene is this sense where um, there's this formula to writing a movie. It's called The Hero's Journey. And on The Hero's Journey, the writer takes the hero, the protagonist, through 12 different steps from where they begin to delivering someone from a problem to returning a conquering hero. There's like a journey the protagonist walks through. And right in the middle of that journey is usually the montage scene, right? It's that moment where they take five months of time cram it into five minutes, the nerd becomes the athlete, the dork becomes the superhero, the unpopular one becomes known or or academically astute or something like that. Now, There are some great montage scenes. I remember one of the first montage scenes I ever watched was as a young boy in a movie called My Fair Lady. Does anyone remember My Fair Lady? Yeah, great. This is saying something about your age and my mum who made me watch My Fair Lady as a little kid. There's that moment where, you know, shes I think it's Eliza's trying to learn how to enunciate her words and she sounds like, you know, real cockney. So she's like, the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane. She's got marbles in her mouth and she swallows one. Does everyone remember that moment? And then slowly she goes, the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane, right, that, and so everyone's like, wow, she became a lady, awesome movie for those who like that sort of thing. Another montage scene would be the Rocky movies, anyone seen the Rocky movies, yes, okay, it's like a couple more people over here watching Rocky, this is my my fair lady crowd, there's this, there's a sense in Rocky where Rocky's an aspiring boxer, and so what happens is, is that he goes through training, but what they do is they put um, the training to uh, to like a, 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 this inspirational track, is like, and Rocky's like out there, he's like beating a leg of ham in a freezer, and the next moment, the montage switches, and he's like getting punched in the abs by his like coach, which I never understood why punching someone in the abs is a good thing, but that worked for him, rock hard abs, then he's slamming the pavement of Philadelphia as he's running through the streets, and kids are running behind him, and he he runs up the stairs at the end, and he's punching the air, and you're like, yeah, he's gonna win, I won't tell you if he wins or not, it's a great movie, go watch it, but the problem with the montage scene is is that I believe that all I need in life is an inspirational track and a montage sequence of events, and suddenly I will become amazing. The montage scene makes us think that what takes someone time may only take us five minutes. So when I go to the gym... And I'm there working out. I love to put on inspirational music. So I've got my... And I'm like, you know, someone's punching me in the abs or something like that. And I'm stoked and I come home after one gym session and I'm like, man, I am flip. You should see how sexy I would look right now. And I take off my shirt and there before me is the same dad bod that I went to before I got to the gym, right? And it's like this horrible thing. And I'm like, what happened? I didn't think it would take this much time. Because what ends up happening when we watch these movies is we begin to believe... That the process of becoming something we are not currently is quick, is easy. It just takes five minutes, some inspirational music, and then we're there. It's like a just-add-water approach to becoming. And, And I say this because it's one of the most damaging and dangerous understandings of discipleship and following Jesus, that becoming like Jesus is an instantaneous moment. Friends, one of my greatest griefs about Christianity and what it's become is that we've treated Christianity as a destination to arrive at rather than a journey and a person to follow. We've treated Christianity as this sense of like the microwave generation that all I need to go is turn to, go to church and I'll be different, or read my Bible once and it'll and it'll be changed, or, or things will have shifted. But what I've come to understand is that Christianity is more about who you follow over time rather than what you do in any singular moment. See, at the start of this year, on Vision Sunday, we we launched this idea where we believe God was asking us an important question as a church. This idea of who are you becoming? And and the heart of this was based in the idea that our church's mantra is we want to see more people become more like Jesus. But before this is something we see happen out there, it is first something that must happen in here. So how have you gone? This is our third Becoming Sunday. Becoming Sunday is a moment where we realign, we refocus, we revision. It's been seven months have we become more like Christ? To do this this year, we, we opened the Word of God and we went to the book of Genesis where we learned about creation and the Imago day. We learned about fall and rebellion and repentance and, you know, and ambition and where it all fits together in the narrative of the gospel. We then spent 12 weeks in the book of Ephesians as the Apostle Paul unpacked for us the gospel and, and then we applied it to our lives saying, how now shall we live? Next week, we continue our journey and we're looking around the idea that, you know what? More of us spend more time outside of church than in church. So we believe God has some great stuff to say about what vocation and work should look like for the Christian. How do faith and work interact for the mother, the police officer, the lawyer, the teacher? And next week, we begin our series called Rework, how God is calling every one of us to be a part of redeeming, restoring and and rebuilding His creation. But before we get there, I want us to return to a moment and remember that as a church, we're asking ourselves a question. Who are we called to become? Because don't get me wrong, friends. Whether you're in the room or joining us online today, every single one of us is becoming someone. Is that person like Christ? When we talk about reading our Bible, when we talk about these ideas about going to church, sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that becoming is all about what you've got to do. And there are some of you here in the room today that you've been with us on the journey from the very start. In February, you're like, I'm going to read my Bible with the church. And and you're with us today. You thought Leviticus was hard, but you joined us in 1 Chronicles chapter 5. And you're like, oh my goodness, it gets harder. It's difficult. There's a massive journey ahead of us. And, And you've been seeing God shape your life. Maybe there's some of you here today who you have been reading your Bible, but it's just been another checkbox, another thing, another task. There are some of you here today you heard that we were reading our Bible this year, and you're like, you know what, that's for someone else. That's not for me. And, and you haven't actually taken part at all. Or maybe you started, and you were so excited in February. But when you look over the montage of your life, it's like, dun, 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 reading the Bible in February, dun, 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 not reading it that much in March, dun, 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 really not reading it in April. And now we're in July, and it's like, what's a Bible again? I know some of us here, friends, that you've been coming to church for a while, or maybe it's your first time here, and you're not even sure you want to become like Christ. And I just want to say, wherever you are at in that spectrum, you're so welcomed and belonging. You have belonging here. But I believe God has something to say to us today. I believe there is something He has to offer us. So wherever you are, I want to encourage you to come with me as we re-examine the Scripture that we felt capture our hearts on Vision Sunday. Coming from Matthew chapter 4, come with me back to the shores of Galilee as Jesus once again offers us. And when Alex and Scott and I were talking about what Scripture we talk from today, I said, I think we've got to talk from Matthew 4, which he did on Vision Sunday. They're like, hang on, haven't we already preached that one? And we wrestled with it and we realized, hang on, the the Word of God's never boring. If we can't get something new from the Word of God, it's more because of the preacher than the Word of God itself. So I want you to open up our hearts as we re-examine a scripture we've visited already this year. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22, we read this. Oh, no, we'll go back a slide there, James. Guys, I'm terrible at the clicker, and James is amazing in saving me. Here we go. We read this about Jesus at the shore of Galilee. Whilst walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I want to pause there. When we examined the scripture on Vision Sunday, we talked about who the fishermen were, how scandalous it was that Jesus would call them. But today, I want to stop for a moment and I want to zero in on verse 19. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Hey, just for a moment. Just look at that scripture. What is God saying? Is there something fresh? What have you never noticed before? Just ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate something new in verse 19 for you. Let's pause and do that together. follow me and i will make you fishes of men as i was praying and preparing for this week what i realized is how jesus deliberately invites us to see the process of becoming and he really clearly states what we are responsible for and what he is responsible for in the process of becoming more like jesus Now, now look at this. What does Jesus say? He says to the two disciples, Peter and Andrew, follow me. See, the thing that Jesus puts on us is not who are you going to become necessarily. The thing that he puts on us is not even the, the, the way we become more like him. The only thing he asks of us to do in this verse is really simple, encapsulated in two words, follow me. Friends, Christianity is not about a destination you arrive at. It's a person you choose to follow. Who are you following? I'm going to argue this later, but I believe every single one of us in this room, every single one of us joining us online today, you are all following someone. Is it Jesus? Because I love this. Jesus says, follow me. And then the very next thing, what does he say? I Will. He takes responsibility for stuff. He takes responsibility for what? I will make you. Who is in charge of you becoming? Who is in charge of you being molded into his likeness? Are you in control? Not at all. What Jesus specifically does in this moment is he says, all you need to worry about is proximity and direction. I am in charge of the molding. I am the potter. You are the clay. Let me mold you. Follow me, our responsibility. I will, Christ's promise, make you our future. When we follow God, He makes us into something we could never have been on our own. We could have never become on our own. Why are these words so important? Because too often, friends, we actually heap this thing on ourselves where we think becoming like Christ is solely our responsibility. Some of you are carrying too much weight that Jesus never called you to carry today. We think that all I need to do is learn more about God, read more of my Bible, attend more of the church service, and and pray more. And then once I do more things, I will become, when it's about doing, friends, it actually becomes a weight we were never meant to carry. One of the dangers that we can fall into as a church as we plumb the depths of Genesis and go through Ephesians and we look at these scriptures is we can think that knowing more about God is the same as knowing God. John Mark Comer says this great line. He says, Isn't it interesting that in this moment, Jesus never commands you to wake up in the morning and have a quiet time and read your Bible? He never commands you to live in community, practice Sabbath, give your money to the poor or any of the other core practices from his way. No, the initial invitation is this. He just does these things himself, these practices, and then he says, hey, just come follow me. Come be in proximity to me. Watch me as I unpack the scripture, as I pray, and you'll catch on. As we said earlier, many scholars argue a better translation of Jesus' original language is this. Come apprentice under me. Who are you apprenticing under? Who are you following? The point John Mark Comer here says that we think Jesus has asked us to do more things than he actually has in the initial stages. The first request of our life is follow him. Because you see, friends, the issue when we think that reading our Bible is going to make us more like Jesus as we get to know more stuff about God, if we think going to Bible college, we think praying more, attending church, going to small group and accumulating more information about God makes us more like Jesus, we get it completely wrong. Jesus' promise is not you will make you. Jesus' promise is I will make you. I was talking about this with uh, uh, our Brisbane pastor, Alex Stark, this week. And we were talking about the dangers of thinking that reading your Bible in and of itself makes you like Jesus. And he said this great line. So I'm going to quote one of our pastors uh, today. It floored me. He goes, Demons have good theology and atheists can be good biblical scholars. Knowing about God in a biblically literate way is not sufficient to form us into the likeness of Jesus. This is pivotal. A guy named Jonathan Haidt wrote a book called The Righteous Mind where he was examining the idea of all these Christians and philosophers who had these great ideas about how humans should live, but they looked nothing like the very ideas they espoused. And Jonathan Haidt says this thing. He says that there is a possibility for there to be a gap between what you know and who you are becoming. Sometimes the people who know the most about God can look the least like Him. Friends, do you know about Jesus or do you know him? Following me, he calls to you and he says, I will make you. So friends, what does following Christ look like? What does it mean when you wake up tomorrow for you to position yourself in proximity with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus that you might be molded? What does it mean for you to be the clay in the hands of the potter rather than forming yourself to be formed by him? Well, The thing I love about the Bible is it it, it gives us this information and teaches us what this means. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Roman church. And in the book of Romans, in the first 11 chapters, Paul writes uh, and explains the complexities of the gospel. And then in Romans chapter 12, Paul turns around and he goes, you know what, let me explain to you how you should respond to the gospel. And he says this simple line. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, you don't know what it looks like to follow Christ? In view of God's mercy, so when you when you step back and go, look at all God has done, look how much he loves me, look at the cross, look at forgiveness, look at grace, look at his unconditional desperation for me to be a part of his family. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What does it mean for us to offer our bodies as sacrifice? What does it mean to live out true and proper worship? Paul, being a great writer and thinker, goes, let me break it down to you. Verse 2, which all scholars believe is an explanation of verse 1. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform, Paul writes. Do not conform. See, the reason why Jesus' is calls to the disciples on the shore of Galilee to follow him is so revolutionary today is because, friends, we are all still following someone. Is it Jesus? What Paul is saying is, who are you conforming towards? We are all conforming towards someone or something. Is it Christ? Douglas Moose says this, that human beings by nature are imitative. They they, they they need a model to copy. Now, some of you are like, I don't need a model to copy, Michael. I'm an individual. Don't tell me what I'm doing with my life. And that may be true. However, science proves over time there have been repeated studies. In fact, back in 1948, a guy named Alan Funt came up with an idea for a TV show called Candid Camera. And Candid Camera was this moment where he was going to place cameras to observe human behavior. Now, the first episode was this famous scene of a man in an elevator now this shot is from 1948 this is not hd this is not ak you do not need glasses it's the photo itself right but this this what happens is he sets up this scene where he puts two actors in an elevator and they're both facing the back wall and in comes in an unsuspecting person who doesn't know there's a camera watching this person walks in and does what everyone usually does in an elevator and stands and faces the front and he looks at the people facing he's like it's a bit weird Next thing, elevator closes and opens again next floor. Two more actors come in and they come around and they stand and they face the wall. But this time, this guy's like, what's going on? Why is everyone facing the wall? It's interesting, as the doors open and close, you see this guy. Slowly, for no reason, turn around and face the wall. And the whole point, why did he face the wall? There's no reason for him to face the wall other than it's what everyone else was doing. You're like, ah, yes, Michael, I've seen. Now, this has been repeated time and time again um, on different candid camera shows where they prove humanity just does this. Now, we go, well, not me, Michael. I don't pattern my life. I don't conform to the standards of this world. How did you make the choice to buy your car? Where did that come from? Was it just spontaneous? No, usually we're conforming to someone's idea of what a good car is. Now, different of us would disagree, but we would surround ourselves with people who agree. How, how come you bought the house where you bought your house? In fact, let's look at fashion. Who decides fashion? Who decides? And it's like we just look about everyone else is doing. We're like, oh, that's, that's the thing that we should be wearing. So we all try to fit and mold. Now, none of, buying your car is not wrong. Buying your house isn't wrong. Fashion isn't wrong. But what I'm trying to make is, friends, we are all conforming. We are all, it's, it's by human nature. In fact... It's important for us to recognise that we are all becoming someone who's in control of who you are becoming. A really interesting moment came when I was researching this and I found out that the advertising agencies of the world have shifted how they market based on the human need to model and imitate. A guy by the name of uh, Douglas Akin was an ad- advertising executive. And in his book, James K.A. Smith's book, Desiring the Kingdom, he talks about this interview he had with Douglas Atkins, this ag- advertising executive. And what happens is that this advertising executive talks about the shift in advertising. That ages ago, what they used to be doing is they were trying to sell a product. They were trying to convince you you needed a product. But now advertising agencies aren't selling a product They are selling a lifestyle. Even more than that, they are selling meaning itself. The idea that if you buy this, you will achieve meaning deeper than if you don't have it. And when they made this shift, they started to ask themselves, who in the world is the best at convincing people that they don't have meaning unless they join this particular group? And this advertising executive says, actually, we found out that cults were the best at giving people meaning who had no meaning. And so we went and studied how cults convinced people to join their ranks, and we applied the same thinking to our advertising campaigns, which meant that people were not being sold a product, they were becoming a product. Now, this is how, now, how the world works. Now, what am I saying to do? Every time you see advertising, do you burn it and shut it? No, I'm, the, I'm just talking about the relentless pursuit of our world to form and shape if we are unaware. In fact, research shows that, that little thing that we have in our pocket called a phone is, is very formative. 5 to 10% of people who use the internet nowadays are as addicted to the internet as has been the same kind of level of addiction found in drug addicts and alcoholics. They can't live... Without it, there's this thing called a phantom vibration where it's started to be proven that your phone is actually rewiring your nervous system. I don't know if you've felt a phantom vibration, but you know when you've got your phone in your pocket or maybe don't have your phone in your pocket and you feel it vibrate and you pull it out only to find out it didn't vibrate? That's actually a scientific phenomenon that your nervous system is being rewired from knowing what you expect to happen when your phone is... We are being shifted and changed and shaped. 80% of all social media is self Focused. Why is this important for us to recognize? Because, friends, we are all becoming someone. We are all following someone. The question we should ask ourselves is, who are you following? This is why Paul writes, do not conform. Do not conform. Do not conform to the standards of this world, to the patterns of this world. It doesn't have your best interests in heart. What are you conforming towards? It's that person who says, well, I have a four-bedroom house, but that person has a six-bedroom house. That person who has you know, a certain lifestyle, but they see another lifestyle. That, that joke that we laugh at. That thing we partake in because everyone else is doing it. See, what Jesus wants to do is drive a spanner into the wheel of this world that is trying to form us into the likeness of who we were never created to be and said, you were made for more. You were made for more. That's the heart of Christ. Who are you becoming? So what is Paul's answer? Is it just not conform? No, he says no, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does this mean? It means, friends, that we recognize every single one of us, every single day, are like a rock in a stream. And we are being shaped by the relentless flow of water around us. What stream of information, of media, of influence are you sitting in right now? This, this is why I read my Bible. It's not because Jesus will love me more because I do. Guess what? He won't. He loves me as much as he possibly could right now. That's why I come to church. It's not because I tick a box of religious expectations. Sometimes I see some people in the grocery, and I'm like, hey, you know, I missed you last weekend. Like, I'm so sorry, pastor. I wasn't, I don't, you don't have to apologize for not rocking up at church. The reason why I come to this is because most of my week, is spent in a world relentlessly trying to shape me. That when I come here, it's like being driving a spanner into the wheel when we sing songs. All I want, all I need is more of you and less of me. This is not a message of the media, it's a need of our hearts. This is why I pray, because I know God who listens. This is why I listen. I sit in silence and solitude because I'm sitting in a stream saying God shape me, God mold me. These are called spiritual disciplines, friends. And Ruth Haley Barton would say it like this. Ruth Haley Barton would say it like this. You just go back to that one, James. That would be amazing. I don't know what's going on with the clicker this morning. It hates me, I swear. I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter what I can do is create the condition in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. Friends, a spiritual discipline, reading of the Word, is just choosing to sit in a stream. All of us have spiritual disciplines. When you wake up in the morning, you reach for your phone that's a spiritual discipline. How you engage with other people, that's a spiritual discipline. What you do when you're by yourself and it's silent, that's a spiritual discipline. It's not if we have spiritual disciplines, it's do we have spiritual disciplines that are forming us into the likeness of Christ. This is why this quote for me is so important and so valuable because it reminds me of what John Mark Comer said. I said this at the start of the year. A discipline is an activity I can do by direct effort that will enable me to do that which I cannot do by direct effort. When I choose to read my Bible, I can put effort into reading the Bible. Why? Because I'm not in charge of becoming like Jesus. That's his responsibility. So I place myself in a stream and God molds the clay. Because here's what I know in my time being a youth pastor, young adults pastor, kids pastor, and now lead minister of a church no one becomes like Jesus by accident. No one wakes up one day and is like, I'm more like Jesus today. (laughs) Wow, I did nothing. We become more like Jesus by intentionally placing ourselves in proximity to Christ. Who are you following? Who are you becoming? Another way to see Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, is in the words of J.B. Phillips. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold you from your mind within. Whose mold are you being squeezed in? So if we were to look back at the last seven months of this year, who would you have become? What's your montage walking the trajectory of? Christ? Christ? Because here's the beautiful thing. It doesn't start in February. It starts today. Or it continues today. So I want to be honest with you for a moment. Because the last seven, eight months, they've been rough for me. Probably been rough for a bunch of us. You know, I started a new job. This is my new job, by the way. It's not McDonald's or something. Like, this is what I do <laughs> for the last eight months. Some of you are like, what do you do during the week? This, I preach to an empty room. There's, I started a new job. I have a, you know, 21 month old son. My wife's 30 weeks pregnant. We we moved in the middle of, you know, morning sickness back in January, and it was just rough. It was just hard. Now it's not for pity. Like life is hard at times, and that's okay. But can I be real? Didn't always feel like reading the Bible. Can I say that as a pastor? I know some of you are like, I'm going to go find another church. That's fine. I didn't always feel like praying. Following Jesus doesn't always feel good. But following Jesus isn't about what I feel. It's about the direction I know I need ahead. Because if you want to know what I feel like doing when I wake up in the morning, it's Instagram. That's why I keep my phone downstairs out of my bedroom. Because that's a spiritual practice for me. I won't reach for it first thing. This is why, like you know what I feel like doing? Looking at the news for hours on end. That's why like, I shut that thing down and I open up the Word of God. That's a spiritual practice for me. That's why every morning between 5 and 6 a.m., depending how tired I am, you'd find me in this chair. Hopefully not. Please stay away from my house between those times. (laughs) (laughs) And I sit in this chair every day, and it doesn't always feel great. But I sit here with my journal, my pen, and my Bible, and I open up to 2 Chronicles or 1 Chronicles, and I read the Word of God. And I say, God, what are you saying today? And, and And here's what usually happens. Something different from the day before. In this chair, friends, I've cried out in anger. God, where are you? This is hard. In this chair, I've cried out in joy. God, there you are. I love you cried out in doubt, why did that happen? I don't understand. In this chair, I felt deserted, I have felt close. But every time I look in this chair, this chair is deep history that I can't fake. This chair has heard my deepest fears, some of my sinful desires, it's heard confessions, but this chair is where I spend time under the stream of his presence. And, and I just, I say that to you today because I think we think this looks prettier than it is. Following Jesus is more about consistency than fireworks. And I've learned three things as I wrap up today about following Jesus that I wanna, I wanna share with you. The first one is this, becoming like Jesus for me, it's more about a journey. It's a journey, not a destination. You know, when you look at Peter, Peter gets called by Jesus as a fisherman. He's rough. He's a thug. He pulls on his knees and says, depart from me. I am a sinful human being, right? And in that moment, Jesus says, come follow me. And Peter does. Now, what do you think Peter looked like? Let's say you met Peter a day later. What do you reckon Peter looked like a day after that? I guarantee you it was pretty much exactly like the day before. You're probably like, dude, like, Has anything changed? Because things don't always change in a day. Now, can God miraculously transform people's hearts, addictions, and minds? Yes, I've seen it happen. But more often than not in my life, it doesn't happen like that. Peter, after a day, was still being Peter and annoying everybody. But after five years, he was the father of the early church. Five years. Sometimes, friends, we think God microwaves people. And he doesn't. Because what would that do for your patience, for your character? But he says, follow me for a long time in the same direction. See what happens together. Come, follow me. Friends, my heart for this church that we would just follow him. Would you do that today? Becoming is about the journey more than the destination. Second thing becoming more like Jesus is it's about a discipline, not a performance. You know, we, we are too afraid of the word discipline when it comes to religion and faith. But there's almost nothing in my life that hasn't been achieved through the consistent, habitual, repeated practice. A guy named T- John Tyson says this, you can't have a formation without repetition. And it's so true. You see, spiritual disciplines are like compound interest. When you teach a young person about compound interest, you're saying to them, just put in a little bit of money to a bank account over time. Keep doing it over and over and over again. And if you look back in a day, you'll probably only have, if you put in $5 a day, you only have $10. But in six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, man, you will have a lot more money because compound interest grows the longer it's there. It's the same with spiritual disciplines. You read your Bible once today and you go, am I like Christ? You're still gonna have a dad bod. That was a reference to the gym thing earlier but you do it for the next five years, friends, for the next 50, you will leave this world as a blessing. It's about a discipline. It's not a performance, friends. And finally, becoming more like Jesus is responding to grace, not to guilt. Jesus doesn't need you to spend time with Him. He's not up there putting condemnation on you. You need to spend time with Jesus. But unless we recognize that as a response to His grace, then we will only ever tire ourselves out performing. Because you know what, friends? Sometimes I sleep in. Sometimes I go for days without opening my, my, my Word just because life, right? And if the reason why I come back to the Word of God is like, God, I feel so guilty. No one wants to spend time with someone who feels guilty for not spending time with them. When I, mean, I come back to God, i be like, God, I man, I've desired you. Man, I've missed you. Man, that's, that's the language of relationship. Friends, if you're struggling to spend time with God, your first step is not to feel guilty. It's to think about what He's done. Think of the cross. Think of the empty cross and the empty tomb and the full throne. Think of grace. Think of forgiveness. Think that right now, nothing you could do could make God love you more. Nothing. Nothing you do could make Him love you less. He loves you. And out of that, respond. That's what becoming's about. So let me ask you again Who are you becoming? Where do you start? Let me encourage you. You could pick up a Bible reading plan or jump on becoming.church.nu and join in with us. But maybe just start with a really easy book of the gospel. If you haven't been reading the Bible, open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and just read a chapter. Say, God, what are you saying? And if there's fireworks, awesome. If there's nothing, here's what I'd do. The next day, I'd open up a, another chapter. Hey God, what are you saying? Write it down, pray it through. Join a small group, talk with people about it. But don't think you can become more like Jesus by accident. Doesn't happen. May you not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Who are you becoming today, friends? Would you stand with me? So gracious God, we pause for this moment. And God, I just ask, would you speak to us? Where in our life have we been conforming? I just really get a sense that someone here today thinks that it's like you take God's advice and then you make the decision of what that looks like. And and that's not the process of becoming. Becoming is a process of surrendering control. Of realizing you're the clay and he is the potter. It's giving up control. I sense there might be someone here today, God's just saying, hey, let me do the forming. Let me do the forming. So Jesus, I pray today, whether we know you deeply, form us. Whether we don't know you at all, may we hear your voice saying, come follow me, that you might make us like you, who we would never have become without you. Jesus, for your glory, for your glory and the good of our world, we pray, fulfill your promise to us. Give us the courage to follow you, the one who gave it all so we might have it all.